This is BioBusters, Professors Hanging Out Talking Science, episode number 37, recorded on March 25th, 2021. Hello, folks. You're listening to the podcast that takes you beyond the classroom and into the trenches of science. I'm Dr. Abby Abdallah, and I'm here with... You guys want to introduce yourselves? Sure. Dr. Fawner. Hi, I'm Dr. Keller. Fantastic. We've got... I like how you switched that up because I was going to suggest during the episode itself... I just got to keep you on your toes. Do we want to start switching up the intro or next time Dr. K introduces us or you know, uh, have guest introductions like The Price is Right. I mean, whatever we need to do. <laughs> uh, yeah, or come on down, buddy. Uh, right. Hey, I will. Uh, you know, that was, that was uh, you know. It, it, it was it, a surprise. It's, it's, it's not a bad show to have in the background if you like prepping dinner or something, you know. It's the show you expect that your parents would have when you go home, right? Oh, I remember watching that with my dad, <laughs> like when I would be sick, you know, and stay at home and he's off a midnight shift. That was great. My uh, my parents used to play it all the time. My mom probably still does. She I was a little kid. It. My babysitter watched it all the time. I remember watching it all the time. I, th- I, I think it's just, I, yeah. for, for her, it's like, okay, background noise, you know? Yeah. I agree. So, uh, how are you guys doing? Pretty good. I cannot complain. I'm semi healthy at my house. <laughs> yeah, good. you've uh, well, semi healthy. <laughs> yeah. Whatever works, man. Right. Well, we're on uh, we're on COVID protocol here for COVID, COVID. shutdown. We were on <laughs> shutdown. You're on. We've been on permanent shutdown. Oh, well, I was going to say it's ironic that a year ago, you know, sent home for however long on a lockdown. Like two months. Here you are again. Yeah, we were home for a while. Yeah, but thankfully, a while. Uh, thankfully, everyone is uh, mild at your house, Keller. So my yeah my uh, my family has COVID. It's going around. I was vaccinated, and I have not yet uh, gotten sick. And so, of one for vaccine, of one for the vaccine win. <laughs> <That's> <laughs> then again, you know, it, it's still anything could happen. But uh, I, I had a negative test yesterday, so I'm going to assume that that I'm going to stay negative. Well, that's but, certainly good news. We wish well, you well, and the family the best. Speedy Thank recoveries you. all around. Okay. I think I think we're all up on, uh, on the mend right now. Yeah, so. well, uh, I know about Fawner, but uh, uh, we missed you at work. Uh, oh, isn't that sweet? It's because you wanted your candy far. bars. Because <laughs> you want your Twix. A, because yeah, I go into your <laughs> office to grab Twix. That's right. That's right. <laughs> all right, what do we got today? We have... Uh, well, I'll start with a birthday, but we've got an interesting episode. Uh, I yeah, think, I think this is going to be fun. Yeah. And we've added a new section to our podcast, which we'll get to. All right. So today's birthday, we have born on March. Oh, you know, we were going to record this yesterday. Oh, so yep, today we were. Ah, okay. The internet was out, so we're That's off right. today. Keller's, Dr. Keller's internet was out, so we couldn't record yesterday. But, okay, so we're, you know, a day off. I think, we get, a 20, okay. we, I think we get a 24-hour standard deviation on this. I yeah. think so, yeah. All right, Definitely. so born March 24th, 1919, died August 23rd, 1997, at age 80, Sir John Cowdery Kendrew. So he is most famous for a 1962 Nobel Prize for Chemistry, which uh, he was um, uh, co-awarded with Max Ferdinand Perutz for their studies of the structures of globular proteins. So they primarily determined the structure of hemoglobin. Uh, They also worked out the structure of myoglobin, which Mm -hmm. is the muscle version of hemoglobin, right? Yep. And uh, his research uh, had been in the field of protein chemistry, uh, mostly x-ray analysis of myoglobin. And uh, he did a three-dimensional model of myoglobin at six angstrom resolution in 1957 and a complete structure, almost complete structure in 1960, and then got the Nobel Prize for that. Uh, I like I like his education here. The Dragon the, School? The Dragon Born School. The I know. That I just... know. That was amazing. So, yeah. yeah he... I, wanna... <laughs> I will tell you, in high school, my, my mascot was the Warren Dragons. So, I will take this as a... 
you know, a sign, but the dragon Warren, uh, Warren PA, right? Warren, yeah. Warren Pennsylvania. Yeah. Yes. And then he went to work at Trinity College in Cambridge uh-huh. in 1936 as a major scholar. I wish I could have that title somewhere, you know, major at least. Scholar. I know they have I'm all these fancy titles. Scholar. For that sounds yeah. so incredible. <laughs> I like that. And then so he got a degree in chemistry in 1939, left to work in some lab, but came back to Cambridge in 46, uh, worked in the famous Cavendish Laboratory. And that's where he began his uh, uh, collaboration with Max uh, Peratz under the direction of uh, Lawrence Bragg. And then he got a PhD in 49 and Nobel Prize, uh, what, barely 13 years after that. Yes. So, uh, Timely. Yeah. Good, good on work him. on that. Absolutely. All right. So uh, any uh, clarification from last episode? I don't think so. None that I know of. All right. A uh, quick coronavirus update. Uh, who wants to do that? Uh, Not me. Foner, <laughs> that's all you. Uh, sure, I'll take it this time. I'll take the baton. So as of March 25th, um, we're sitting at worldwide cases, about 124,711,000. Uh, uh, deaths are currently coming in worldwide at 2,760,000. Uh, U.S. cases sitting at 30,712,000 and U.S. deaths at about 558,000. So, uh, yeah, I mean, so far, I think the, the biggest thing is that, you know, the vaccines are underway. The U.S. vaccination effort is still ongoing. Uh, individuals who have had at least one dose sitting at 26 percent. So that's, that's good in, to the U- see. in the U.S. In the U.S., yes. Yeah. And then uh, fully vaccinated, and this is also lumping together the one dose that's part of the Johnson & Johnson vaccine, that's sitting at 14% fully vaccinated individuals in the U.S. So better than where we were and hoping to see that number increase steadily over the next few weeks and months. Well, the end of, of one right here, it works. Yeah, it works. <laughs> I have both doses. Yeah, That's right. Uh, I wasn't in the time. So they, they're seeing about 10 days out from the second dose is when you should be fully vaccinated. I was not. Okay. Uh, I should you be. You are fa- fairly close though, right? Like No, no, no. Uh, Fauna and I got our vaccine the Friday before. So Was it two weeks ago? We two got weeks the vaccine. Ago, yeah. And uh, my family started having symptoms the next Wednesday. So it was only, I see. I see. It, was, it wasn't even a week. It was about five, six days later. Okay. Well, uh, yeah. certainly yeah. good news that you're still feeling. Good news, still, still kicking it. No, that's right. That's right. Uh, the uh, other COVID update in terms of um, sort of the testing, uh, well, with those numbers, before I forget, uh, if you notice, these, these uh, case fatality rates are, are, are getting lower, right? Uh, we're yeah. sitting at about 2% now globally when uh, a year ago we were sitting at 4 to 5%. Right. And uh, if you factor in all sort of all the non-lab confirmed cases, we we think that number is much, much lower in terms of case fatality, right? Definitely. Yeah. But uh, in the U.S., the numbers have uh, tapered down uh, significantly over the last couple of weeks to a month. Uh, many factors go into that. One of it is that uh, we're actually testing less, but because we've moved into a vaccine effort, all of those people that have been, uh, you know, a lot of the uh, volunteers or workers that were on the testing side have moved to the vaccine side. Either way, uh, they're estimating in the U.S. that every uh, American who wants to get a vaccine should be able to get one by uh, June or July, right? At the latest. Well, and, 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 so. and by then, I think we'll start to see things go back to some semblance of how they were before the vaccine, that or before be the virus. See. You know, I mean, already we're saying no masks for people that are you know already vaccinated, right? Right. In certain situations, yeah. And even continuing efforts for different types of vaccines. Uh, something that uh, Dr. A and I talked about a few days ago was the further development and. Uh, upcoming clinical trials, first phases of a coronavirus vaccine that's going to be in pill form. So no Ooh. need for needles, uh, possibility or, or of storage. Right? That's the or uh, company, Oravax. Yeah. Yeah. Storage is going to be key. Storage, that's a big, yeah, anytime you're that's talking about pill, a that's going to be a big obstacle. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And uh, one of the things, uh, uh, since the last episode, one of the things that came online is the AstraZeneca vaccine with the release of their data 
But, uh, you know, I don't think it's going to be a game changer for the United States because no. we already have the vaccine doses we need here. But it, I think it will be a game changer for the rest of the world if indeed it gets approved and uh, goes through the approval process of whether it's the uh, EU approval or FDA or even World Health Organization. Uh, a lot of other countries would help them. Uh, because right now, most of the Pfizer Moderna supply is is really going to the U.S. Yeah. There, there are some in, international doses, but not in the hundreds of millions like our cases. Okay. All right. All right. So we have a new segment that we will do in every episode moving forward. We have decided to go over a, and very quickly, we don't want to spend too much time on this, but we think our listeners would benefit from an episode's scientific study, whether it's a clinical study or a lab study. So this uh, episode's uh, study focuses on so-called COVID-19 long haulers. These are people who have uh, gotten the coronavirus, uh, recovered from the coronavirus in terms of acute illness, but uh, have lived for weeks and in some cases months with chronic symptoms of COVID. And this article is as recent as two days ago uh, in the uh, 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 Annals of Clinical and Translational Neurology. The title of the article is Persistent Neurological Symptoms and Cognitive Dysfunction in Non-Hospitalized COVID-19 Long Haulers. So they looked at uh, 100 patients who presented to a uh, neuro uh, clinic. And what they excluded from the study is anybody who was hospitalized for pneumonia or or hypoxemia, so low levels of oxygen, right? And they pretty much uh, recorded the frequency of neurological symptoms, and they analyzed patient-reported quality of life uh, and standardized cognitive assessments. And uh, this is with patients who had consistent neurological symptoms lasting more than six weeks post-recovery from the virus. So is that how they define long haulers in this study, that post or that after six weeks post-recovery period? Yeah, yeah. So pretty much you have zero symptoms of the uh, coronavirus. So no aches, no fever, no uh, shortness of breath, et cetera, so on and so forth. But the only thing you have is some sort of a neurological manifestation that sort of uh, 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 sticks around. And the results of the study, and again, this is from 100 patients who presented to the neuroclinic. And uh, the results of the study is that they found the most frequent comorbidity being depression and anxiety in 42% of those individuals, and some sort of an autoimmune disease in 16% of those individuals. They, uh, do you remember when you were going through this, what types of autoimmune disease that they mentioned as being the comorbidity here? Part of that sixteen percent. Yeah, I wrote it down somewhere. You know, I'll try to remember and I'll 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 bring it up again. Okay. But uh, yeah, sorry about that. But I, I I do have it somewhere. I'll I'll find that paper. But um, still, it's I, I think even without knowing the specific disease, that's a key finding. Knowing that previous mental status as well as the incidence of autoimmune disease can kind of predict something like this. Yeah, uh, it, I mean that's a low percentage. Just I'm it just throwing out to look at the rest of every like, eighty one percent brain fog. Mm-hmm. Yeah, which I thought was interesting. So the main neurological manifestations have been eighty one percent was described as brain fog, sixty eight percent headaches, sixty percent numbness and tingling, fifty nine percent of those uh, people still uh, complained of dyscusia or dysgeusia, which is not able to taste food. Uh, 55% with anosmia, which is not able to smell food. 55% with myalgias, which is muscle pain, which I, I, I think that's significant. But uh, 85% still experience fatigue. Which would go along with the brain fog. Yeah. yeah. And one of the things that I thought was very interesting is they, they interviewed a, 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 per, a person who was you know part of this study and he said something along the lines of you know he would walk into a room and then all of a sudden forget what he why he was there or what he entered that room for like that sort of brain fog or he had some sort of like a labor construction job right he would like go up on a ladder to do a job and then he's up on the roof and he's looking around and he's like well what do i need to do now right like and that is pretty dangerous yeah 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 
I mean, this is just knowing that this is affecting neurological signaling in such a manner, Mm. causing numbness and tingling. I mean, nerve to muscle stimulation, that is concerning. I'd like to see some results of like a nerve conduction test from these individuals who are long haulers, see exactly what's happening there. So to me, that cognitive function is is insane, right? Mm -hmm. So they they, uh, saw that these SARS-CoV-2 positive patients performed worse in attention Mm -hmm. and working memory cognitive tests. Which goes with the brain fog. Yeah. Yeah. What's interesting to me is as a respiratory pathogen, we're most concerned about the mortality due to respiratory suppression and respiratory distress and whatnot. And that's not on here at all. No. Yeah. You know, there's no long-term yeah. respiratory symptoms. You know, there, there are, there's, there's been described other, I don't want to say chronic, because we really can't call it chronic yet, but long-term effects of COVID-19. I, I know I, I have, there's a student I've talked to that has something called COVID lung. Mm which is, uh, you know, still a little difficulty breathing and long after the virus is gone. And so this is just further evidence that we're not going to, I mean, we're starting to just realize, and it's going to be another few years where we start determining the long-term effects and dysfunctions associated with, you know, getting, um, getting COVID. Agreed. I mean, yeah. I wouldn't want to, of course, you don't want those nasty respiratory issues. You don't want to be hospitalized, have to be put on a vent. Obviously, that's very bad news. But think about how significant brain fog and having these deficits in attention, memory consolidation in the brain. That's, I mean, if, if I had brain fog and I had to go in and teach this morning, I'm not going to be too effective at my job until this clears up, hopefully. That would be, I don't know, that's nasty. Agreed. Uh, yeah, yeah, 100%. And uh, now one thing that is interesting, and I haven't seen a study yet, but there's enough clinical reports coming out of hospitals or clinics indicating that long haulers, for whatever reason, who get a vaccine seem to have an improvement in their long haul symptoms. So they've so just to follow that timeline of what you said, they are long haulers. They've been classified as long haulers. Uh-huh. They get the vaccine, vaccine and then and they, they show see. improvement. Absolutely. I mean, you're talking that about cool. which I makes mean, me again, think maybe the vaccine perhaps induces some neutralizing antibodies that are at a higher level, and then maybe there's some lingering virus that gets rid. I don't know. I don't know. There's no mechanism yet. This is speculation. I mean, the autoimmunity. It's still low at that 16%. I don't know what to make of that, but you know, autoantibodies, and then you're given a vaccine that induces what you're saying, Delbert, like a huge response to the spike protein. Does that kind of get rid of or negate those antibodies that were maybe already made? So maybe there are so those autoantibodies maybe reducing the maybe. production of those autoantibodes, you're Could saying? I, yes. Perhaps. I it's it's all speculation. Again, but. it's speculation, but that could explain why you would get reduced aberrant nerve signaling, right? If this is all a nerve issue, Uh you're getting receptors being activated by potentially autoantibodies, you get that vaccine, you reduce the activity of the autoantibodies, thus clearing up neurological manifestations. Yeah, I'm thinking like like perhaps these patients made the wrong antibodies. They they had a major response to a different part of the virus that caused caused you know, auto uh, selection of auto antibodies. Mm-hmm. And so when they get the, the spike protein antibody, it kind of pushes them back the other way. I don't know. It's just a thought. Yeah, you know. Could be one, I, one of the proposed mechanisms per, uh, that I've seen being floating around is uh, perhaps an elevated level of inflammation in the brain in these long haulers mm-hmm. that is affecting these uh, things. And Fauna, I found the autoimmunity. They looked at, serum levels of ANA antibody, which is uh, usually the one they look for in uh, like lupus or something. Okay. Like that. Yeah, ANA well, is positive in a lot of things. Yeah. I mean, it's true. just really a marker of autoimmunity. Right. Right. It's interesting. But that is the uh, elevated titer they looked at uh, sure. or concentration of antibody in the serum in the blood. But yeah. Uh, so that's our uh, study for the, for the episode. Well, that's, cool. that's interesting. So if our watchers and our listeners, you know, have any input on that and want to 
share their thoughts, please, you know, yeah. email us at thebiobusters at gmail.com. And, uh, you know, we, we hopefully will have another another study that may or may not be COVID-related next episode. <laughs> All right. So uh, moving on to this episode's topic. So last time we spoke, uh, or we had an episode, we discussed maybe a couple science movies and portrayal of science movies or science in movies. And... Uh, we actually went back and uh, we each had homework to watch movies. Uh, Dr. Keller watched 93 Days. Is that right? That's, that's right. So uh, we, uh, we, were, we intended on watching movies that were relevant to our situation now. And uh, we wanted to see, you know, are there science myths? Do they do things appropriately or did they not? And so we chose the movies Outbreak from uh, 1995, I believe. That is correct. Good memory. And Contagion, which was in the 2000s, early. 2011. Okay, not too early. 2011. And uh, neither were available freely (laughs) on my streaming services. So I found a movie called 93 Days. I believe Dr. Ubi Abdullah also watched that movie. I did watch it, yeah. For similar reasons. And uh, it, it was actually a good uh, contrast to these mega blockbusters that, that like Outbreak and Contagion that were supposed to uh, hopefully portray a, a valid scientific side to to what would happen if a, a major pathogen got loose with a high mortality rate, right. such as COVID. Right. Uh, and I, I would think- I would argue of the of the three movies. The one that is most Hollywood is Outbreak, Outbreak. for sure. Yes, it's, absolutely. It's, it's more. It's not as maybe subdued, realistic, or even. It's very dramatic for the purpose of being dramatic. Action the, is involved. All kinds. Of also, yeah. the it's number the oldest, of it's the oldest movie. Let's face it. I mean, yeah. that you know, I'm, I'm not saying special effects or anything, but there was a lot more leeway given back in mm-hmm. in those days. And you know, now everybody's got the internet. It's like, well, that's not how that happens. You know, and so. it's easy. It's easy with hindsight to play like Monday morning quarterback and say, oh, I can't believe they would think this in 1995. Well, that's what, that's almost 26 ago. years ago. Yeah. yeah. But you know, uh, I I did not, I, I had I had forgotten that I'd seen it before, right? I, I had seen it probably when I was younger and just forgotten a lot of the details, right? How but young? I, I just wonder how young you guys were <laughs> when this came out. Just, just, just uh, on the off chance, what were you, in high school? Middle school? 94, what do we say? 1994? Elementary. 95. That would have been elementary school for me. 1995. I would have been 12, 13. Yeah, I was maybe in fifth grade, I want to say somewhere around there, whenever it was like on HBO and we could actually watch it. Keller, you you were probably college or high school? College. Both. I graduated in 95. Okay. Gotcha. So I was... I was transitioning to college at that time. And it was it was a pretty big deal, the outbreak yeah. at that time. It was a big time movie. So, so uh, I, were there, I'm trying to think, were there any significant outbreaks of disease in the early 90s other than like we're at the maybe uh, like the second decade of HIV? No, mm. uh, just Ebola's. So uh, there were these continual, and, and there still are, you know, little hot spot outbreaks of ebola the first and, major sort of identified was like in the 70s right was that sure like yeah and i think that's what this movie gets at too okay. yeah you know they, they they go back to when when morgan freeman and donald sutherland are oh are young God, very doctors. quickly just for our listeners we will be going into spoiler details now this movie's 30 years oh, old yeah, so yeah. i assume i assume if you haven't seen it by now okay you're not going to see it it's but still worth it but it is worth it. It's watch worth it. the watch. But Contagion in 93 Days, we're probably going to be talking about specific plot points to yeah. reference things. So if you haven't seen them and want to, maybe watch them, come back to the episode that we have right now, tomorrow or the day after. And smash the like button, according and to there Dr. You go. Abdullah. That's good. You know but, what uh, was uh, probably, I just uh, I, it just huh. hit me. Uh, wasn't like the early 90s, that big famous book by Laurie Garrett, The Calming Plague, was that 90s? Yes, and she actually talks um, about yeah. 
But before so, that was the virus hunters of the CDC. Those yeah. made a big splash. And I think that's where this comes from more than her book. Uh, you know, Lori criticizes Outbreak. Lori, in the later she, editions, yeah. I think, of The Coming so, Plague, she criticizes this movie. Yeah. So so her books came out around this time, whereas I think it was the late 94, 80s, early did, 90s. 94, came. Coming Plague. I just looked it up. Okay. Uh, and uh, before that were the virus hunters of the CDC and, 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 and books like that, that not glorify, but really put into, put into perspective these lethal virus outbreaks that they were hunting down around the world. You know, the, the rest and strain in Virginia sure. and sure. Oh, rest and strain. Yeah. I remember that. Yeah. Yeah. That came from uh, a monkey, didn't it? Uh, most of these we think come from monkeys. No, I so, meant specifically I mean, all, the, re the rest and strain specifically. Absolutely. And they probably all do. I mean, we, we, we aren't sure, but right. you know, we think it begins with bushmeat, but it sure. doesn't matter. I mean, the, the, all three of these movies are based on a lethal virus that goes airborne. Right? Yeah. I mean, right now right. Ebola is, a, and, and we learned from the, you know, the Ebola pandemic that it's not respiratory, but it can be respiratory droplets. So if you're wearing a mask and you're six feet, you're probably pretty good. And if you haven't come into contact with someone with Ebola, you can't get Ebola. It's not going to survive on yeah. fomites or things like that. Right. Yeah. But you know, the other thing uh, uh, that I didn't realize more at the time, they were not, I guess, super famous, but that movie Outbreak, man, it's got like five, six, seven heavy hitters. No, oh, it's yeah. an ensemble cast and oh, they yeah. really, yeah. Huge. like huge. talk about the 90s plethora of big time actors like Dustin Hoffman, Morgan yep. Freeman, Donald Sutherland, Rene Russo, Rene Russo, Cuba Gooding Jr. Oh yeah, Cuba Gooding That was right Jr. around when he won his Oscar. Kevin Spacey's yeah. in it. Kevin Spacey. Yeah, even though he's ostracized now. Back you don't see him in movies now. No, you <laughs> you know, not anymore. Maybe, maybe Patrick, yeah, Patrick Dempsey was in it. Yeah. Uh, yeah. One of his yeah. first roles, I think. Yep. That was very interesting. Yeah, and, I mean, doesn't look like Grey's and, Anatomy. And again, <laughs> the way they the way they Hollywood the movie up is, and I love the synopsis that I was reading, like maybe like a Wikipedia page. There are very clear demarcations between here's what's good, here's what's bad. There is no real gray area. Like Donald Sutherland, he's the bad guy. The virus, uh, 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 that's uh, uh, uh. a bad factor. And Dustin Hoffman is that hero who's just trying to save everybody. And won't and of follow course, the save rules. His wife. He won't. And won't follow the rules. That's what I love about Dustin Hoffman. In and, that movie. and there's a love story involved too. It's, yeah, it's yep. amazing. So let's let's talk about what the movie got right, what the movie got wrong. Okay. Right? Well, the relationship with the host, right? The virus's relationship with the host. And something that you guys pointed out uh, as we were discussing this, the movie begins pretty shockingly when they take the village out. Once they see, yeah, that is intense. This man. virus is causing almost 100% mortality. Well, so it was about the virus, not about the people. So they mm -hmm. wanted they wanted a weapon. Yep. So instead of trying to save all the soldiers' lives, they decide to bomb the village. Yeah, the opening they found scene. That the, yeah, the, the they got some blood samples to uh, to grow up this virus as a weapon. And it was, and I'm kind of glad that. You know, they had that plot point. They had that, okay, what was it, back in the 50s when they bombed it? And then a few decades later, three or four decades later, the virus reappears, right? Mm -hmm. and it's because of it hiding inside of a host, a non-human animal, which is that, that monkey. What species of monkey was it again? Yeah, so that... capuchin. No, no, it, it is. Yeah, you're right. Yeah, white-faced capuchin. Mm -hmm. and, but what, that's where they got wrong, right? Because right. that, that was supposed to be in Africa, right? In Zaire, right? Correct. And uh, the white-faced capuchin is a South American monkey. It is. So that's one of the sort of scientific uh, wrongs of the movie. So, so maybe, maybe the director was sitting there looking at a few different types of monkeys and went, wow, that, that monkey. That was cute. It's cute. He's it's gonna cute get it is a cute monkey. Sympathy. I agree. I mean, if, if I was if I was Patrick Dempsey, I would own that monkey. <laughs> oh, I would. I mean, that's what it is. I is wanted it just, that monkey. Well, for 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 those of you uh, haven't seen this movie and you're listening, to this, like I don't want to see the movie. Uh, I believe wasn't that the monkey from Friends that Ross Marcel. had? Marcel. Marcel. So yep. same. And I believe it's the, the actual same monkey. 
Mm-hmm. It, it could that, be that at the time it, Hollywood it was had book, yeah. one trained monkey that they could get to do things in a movie. <laughs> Hollywood has a bunch of going, trained monkeys down well, I remember that monkey going on talk shows. It was on, I think, Leno. It was on sure. David Letterman. I mean, that monkey was everywhere in 1995. Probably said more than Harrison Ford on those shows, too. <laughs> but, um, yeah, so it was able to hide in the host, in, in that monkey. Yep. And that's similar to what other pathogens and viruses are able to do, correct? But, yeah, but Delbert brings up a huge point right there that they didn't do their homework, you know. Yep. They you know they, they used the probably the most trained monkey they had and that monkey was Or, or a monkey like easy easy enough to handle, you know what I mean? Sure. Like pro- it's a small monkey. Some of the host monkeys in, in the jungles or whatever are probably very aggressive and, you know, like not yeah. friendly, et cetera, so on and so forth. Yeah, but true. Good for Hollywood. Yeah, very so there, good for Hollywood. Yeah. So there were some some other good points in there too. I, you know, I was when I was watching, I was like, that, okay, people are becoming sick too fast, and it was. It, I mean, everybody had the same progression throughout. Like it was days when they, get, they was, died, right? Some after they got infected. I mean, in the movie, yeah, but but it was always the same exact progression. I mean, yep. you know, you really want to make it real. You need to mix it up a little bit. Some people yep. should have died earlier. Some later. There's there's that, variation in the human population in how you respond always. to a pathogen. Absolutely, always, always. Nobody I, survived. It was well, 100% honestly, lethal. Looking at that movie as a kid, just being in elementary school, it was it induced hemorrhagic fever. Correct. It correct. Did. So correct. internal bleeding, and if you remember, some of those patients, like again, spoiler alert, but it shows Patrick Dempsey when he goes and his girlfriend, who is now sick and maybe a day or two behind him from eventually dying. They're both in the same room in both like quarantine beds. And when he goes, I mean, he is bleeding like, I don't know. I can't remember pustules maybe, but there were pustules. It was, yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. It was one of the worst, like as a kid, that was horrifying to see. <laughs> I bet. And Why would your parents let you watch that? Uh, Honor. It, it was like a he, family he, get to. <laughs> this guy had zero supervision growing uh, up. Apparently uh, not. I grew up on Friday the 13th, Freddy Krueger movies. Jeez. This was nothing. That's so, why I'm so well balanced right now. <laughs> so, so, so something else that I thought yeah. was, I, and I think only a scientist would pick up on that. They show you, after they identify the virus, right? And then they're showing you the virus on microscopy. They use a light <laughs> microscope. To show yeah. you effectively a virus, which you can't do. You need an electron microscope half the size of uh, an office, right? Yes. So, yeah, absolutely. that was... You would uh, never see a virus with a light microscope. Absolutely. And they're like, oh, here it is, right? And, and it was I, right away, too. Look at this. Wow. There was almost zero effort in looking at that virus. And what I thought was interesting, too, they showed... When they show what the virus looks like, they actually showed Ebola. Yeah, it was the real Ebola. Right, yeah, they yeah, showed an, yeah. an Ebola virus. But yeah, so yeah, they use a light microscope to do that. I mean, the other things that were in there that just struck me, nobody would ever, look, look, as a trained researcher, you don't mess with centrifuges. These things oh. are spinning really, really fast. There's floor models that look like washing machines. Man, if those things, like, if they malfunction, they're going to put a hole through the ceiling. And yet here's some guy reaching into a, a centrifuge still, still moving. Rotating. And the blood yeah. and the blood samples just all that's over the place. I know, blood. I know, I saw that. What do you that's expect? also Nobody disgusting. would reach in there. Nobody's that dumb. And when also, I was a most, kid, mo- most centrifuges would not open up if they're That's true. They're not going to yeah, open anyway. Safety those, yeah, those, yeah. Anything having to do with blood, you're going to have a refrigerated centrifuge anyway. So it's well, in that, in that technician's hot. defense... Oh, I think he was watching like a TV or something and maybe watching sports and his team's not doing well. And he's just like this. Yeah, he was. Okay. So he said, screw it. I'm and then he looked my hand in. And that was something else. As a kid, I could never watch that scene because when it showed the blood hit him, it for, for me, it was nope. That, that's disgusting, horrifying. And now that guy's going to die in a few yeah. minutes. And, and uh, the two things that struck me huge in this movie, as from a scientific background, is the one that Doctor Abi Abdullah brought up. It's that's the the light microscope that was like obvious. Like, what are you doing? <laughs> and the other was at the end when they finally figured out it's this monkey, and they're like, "Oh, 
we're going to get some serum from this monkey and we're going to treat everybody with the serum in that town. Thousands, in the, in the, thousands of, of people. people. So from one you little tiny ass monkey. If you don't know, <laughs> so serum is part of plasma, which is when they take your blood sample, let's say when they take a tube of blood, right? Honestly, that tube's pretty thick walled. It's not as much blood as you think it is when you're looking mm-hmm. at that tube. Might be five mils, maybe top. That's a couple yeah. tubes. It's not a lot in there, right? And so, so think about how big the monkey is, how much blood they could get out. When you spit it, I'd say serum's probably a, a top half of it. The rest mm-hmm. is probably blood and, mm-hmm. and whatnot. And so you're, you're getting just a little bit out. Yet all of a sudden, they had enough to save the town. Look, when we make serum, we make it in horses for a reason. Mm-hmm. Right, you, 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 like uh, snake anti-venom you'll, you'll inject the venom into a horse let the horse make antibodies you get a lot of antibodies to a big horse nobody's going to be using a monkey for that so I was amazed that they were able to save the town with the monkey I, so, and it was within hours right I know well, amazing, quick. amazing how fast it works I, well, I just, again, I, I just looked ahead. it up yeah uh, a mean volume of 60 milliliters of blood per kilogram of capuchin so it wasn't a big capuchin either. No, think, no, think that wasn't. monkey made <laughs> how, how much do you think that monkey weighed? 20 pounds, 30 pounds? Uh if that oh, not even. I would say not 20. I I don't think 20 pounds. Let's be generous. Let's be generous. Say 20 pounds. Okay, put, 20. Put some roughly 10 kigs. You're looking at 600 mils of blood, maybe. Of whole blood. So like <laughs> of whole blood, yeah. 300 mils of serum, maybe. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it's amazing. I also thought, uh, my other thought was, I know they had some of that stuff lying around that Morgan Freeman was kind of like hoarding and hiding that treated the variant from the 50s after Uh he and uh Donald Sutherland uh bombed the town. Could they have combined the antibodies from the monkey with the serum provided, you know, there to kind of supplement it? But remember, there was a mutation, right? Yes. It could not work. It did not work against the new variant. Because they gave it, did they give it to Kevin Spacey when he got sick? They gave it to That's, somebody and it didn't work. Spoiler, yeah, 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 because yeah. there was there was a there was a mutation. Yeah. But not only that, but there is no supplementing 300 mils of serum. I mean, I'm just trying to find a dose, man. For me, even in the even in the dose for a capuchin monkey, even in the 90s, that seems like such a glaring oversight. And maybe they were getting to the end of the movie. They still had to do that airplane scene where they have to try and get the bomber called off from destroying this town. Know. Uh, I, I don't know. And After I like Dreamy died. I was out on the movie. Anyway. Oh, you, you turned it <laughs> off. Yeah. <laughs> and you know, the one last thing here, you know, ba- well, one or two things on outbreak. Mm-hmm. Uh, I read up that this has become like a movie where a lot of conspiracy theorists started <laughs> like distrusting the government saying, Oh, well, of course this movie proves that like HIV was created. Right. Or um, the government is creating these biological weapons, covering it up, bombing towns. Uh, this movie apparently has been used as fodder for a lot of pretty insane conspiracy it. theories. Oh, yeah, I can see it, too. Yeah, I can see you it don't too. see it. Father? I mean, we all see it. <laughs> so I um, mean, look, look, with HIV, folks. That virus is much smarter than we are. There's no way somebody created that thing. It took us decades of some of the most intelligent people in the world to come up with treatments for it. Yeah. Yeah. We still don't have a vaccine. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. So. So anything else on on that? Well, the the pathogen was 100. It induced 100% mortality. Right? Yeah. It did. Once you were infected, unless you got the vaccine in a certain amount of time. Sure. You would die. So. Offhand, what are some real life pathogens that induce close to or similar to 100% without treatment? Neisseria meningitis, rabies. Yeah. Rabies would be a big one, there's, right? There, without there proper treatment. Meningococcal meningitis, 100% lethal. Uh, pneumonic plague, just about 100% yeah. lethal. Spongiform encephalopathies like prion diseases. Negleria. Uh, African trypanosomiasis, untreated. Untreated. So quite if, a number yeah, 100%. of That's if yeah. you go into Without the coma, treatment. though. Sure. I mean, some yeah. people, most people don't. Uh, visceral leishmaniasis, untreated, 100% lethal. Uh, but yeah, so there, are, there are quite a number. Ebola is 80%. Yeah. Close, and that's be- yeah. Yeah, and that's because some some uh, individuals do have antibodies and do survive. But, mm-hmm. but you know, uh, up, in, up in the near 100, so 99, just 98, 99% HIV AIDS is lethal without treatment in, in yeah. mm-hmm. almost, almost everyone. Um, what else? Right. Smallpox? Uh, that was 95 
No, not even. No. Oh wow. No, not no. lower than ninety-five. No, no, no. Uh, it, no, it was lower. It was much lower than that. I'm thinking for not the minors, like variola major of smallpox. Sure. Not variola minor. No, I don't think it was that much. Okay. Well, I could be wrong. I'm checking right now. Gotta love Google. Just I, I, I love this new yeah, format. I thought so. It's around 30%. For major. Yeah. Okay. I stand corrected. Yeah. Uh, but I, I didn't know this. There are different types of smallpox. Flat hemorrhagic smallpox, which are uncommon, were usually fatal. Those, those, usually are, those are up there. The hemorrhagic type is up there. Well, sure. Anytime okay. you say hemorrhagic, yeah. except dengue hemorrhagic fever, it doesn't have sure, such sure, a high sure. mortality rate. Well, that was that was good. So let's uh, let's do. I, I think we're gonna move on. So yeah, let's the do, ninety-three days. That was really. No, let's let let's stay on viral, and then we'll come oh, back okay. if you don't mind. Let's do contagion. Well, ninety-three okay, days was so. Viral. So yeah, contagion was no. the one from 2011. Yeah, right. yeah. <laughs> yeah go ahead. Uh, so this is the one uh, with Matt Damon, what uh, Gwyneth Lawrence Paltrow, Fishburne. Lawrence yep. Fishburne's in it. He was very good. Another the, big bunch of cast to this. Brian Cranston was in it. He played mm-hmm. what the general. Uh, so effectively, this is uh, another story about a lethal airborne pathogen that kills in a number of days. And I believe they modeled the pathogen off a com- combination of the influenza virus and the uh, Nipah virus, Nipah, Nipah. Uh, and eventually that induced and caused brain inflammation and respiratory disease in infected individuals, and they died and succumbed to the disease. Now, this movie came out sort of after influenza and animals became a thing. Mm. Right, so was it kind of modeled that on like maybe bird flu, uh, pig flu, swine flu? You know what I mean? Like, well, sort of and like- again, spoiler alert, but the, remember the big climax of the movie at the very end, the ongoing kind of subtle mystery is they're trying to figure out patient zero, patient zero, because Gwyneth Paltrow was the first one who went, and her dying in that hospital with the respiratory distress, she's like almost like frozen solid. I mean, she goes really quickly. Yeah. Um, they're trying to determine, I think she was visiting, uh, was it in China or Japan where she was like an I overseas think it was trip. Some Asian country, but she was like, what at a casino. Right. And she wants to meet the chef who like made what the sushi or whatever. And right. at the very end it's revealed bat, uh, bat hanging, you know, next to where these pigs are being caged. And what is it? The bats are eating like fruit, fruits dropping, um, pigs are eating that pigs get slaughtered. And then the chef is, you know, using the, you know, the meat as part of whatever he's cooking. Sure. Sure. Somebody comes back to say, Oh, Gwyneth Paltrow wants to meet you and you see him, he's not wearing gloves. And I think he just like wipes his hands off on his pants, goes out, shakes her hand. And I think that's when it cuts to black. That's the end. Of the and movie. you know, I, I think that's very that's that's not Hollywood, right? That's very no, that's reality. reality. That's absolutely real. that's that's how this stuff happens. But again, I'm going to go with the uh, you know you're talking about viruses in two different families, not just unlikely, impossible. Those two are, the viruses yes. don't mate. Mm-hmm. Right now, I and, I and I think you're right too. I think it's you know right around that time we were talking about the novel the H1N1 mm-hmm. yeah. novel. Yeah. The novel fluid just come out, and yeah, you know my guess is this is a playoff of that in terms yeah. of. Yeah, you know, timing. But, but it was, but it it was, in my opinion, compared to Outbreak, this is it's just as dramatic, I think, but much more grounded in reality. Yes, it shows the less high degree ho- less of transmission. Hollywood. Yeah, less Hollywood, more science, yeah, m- more more research. This is a look. Yeah. Outbreak was a blockbuster and it made a lot of money. So was this, but it was more epidemiological. Yeah. Yeah, it's clear they consulted a scientist, and they did. I think it got. I think it got a lot of support from the overall scientific community. Yeah, there are some. You know, there are some things here and there, right, that were a little bit inaccurate. I just want to say, Kate Winslet was in it. Jude Law was in it. I mean, you have a huge cast here as well, and and, I I mean, just the fact that it still followed the science. I I think that's a good thing. I think one of the most heartbreaking scenes in that movie because. Kate Winslet, she was working for the CDC, right? Uh, was she a researcher or a healthcare worker? I, I, I really can't remember. But when she wakes up in the middle of the night and she calls Lawrence Fishburne and says, I woke up, I'm feeling like out of it, I'm running a fever. 
And she's just like sitting there and she realizes I've contracted this and it's very likely that I'm going to die. And again, spoiler alert, in a matter of days, she eventually does. Her character arc is much one of the more heartbreaking uh, character arcs Mm -hmm. in that movie. But but that's real. That's the way these viruses work. Yep. You have to feel some sort of empathy for a scene like that when in one of these movies, and 93 Days has a lot of that, where a scientist or a medical doctor Mm -hmm. realizes the first symptoms of Oh shit! I'm infected. Yep. Yeah. Or denial, but, and right? that was 93 days. Uh-huh. There's a lot of denial in there as well and, about and, being. And then, infected. sort of like because you know what happens, you you've quickly gone through the odds in your mind of, oh, nine out of ten times I'm likely to die over the next week, right? But mm-hmm. it, it, to to live with that, right? Sort of as the scientist, knowing what's going to happen to your body. With, I, I feel it's a little bit different than like the patient who comes in and maybe they're aware of what's going to happen. Maybe not. Maybe they're informed. But at least maybe they're st- they still might have hope. Right. And maybe they might think because they're not knowledgeable about the process. Oh, well, maybe there's going to be a treatment coming or maybe the vaccine's I, coming. I'm in, in the days. hospital. I should be okay. It's so, yeah. so on and so forth. You as know. a scientist sitting there knowing the vaccine's months away. This right. has such a you know a high mortality rate. Well, not in this most, movie. They had it four months. The vaccine was within four months, which I found a tad bit on the fast side. Well, unless <laughs> Trump is president, and then you get it pretty quick. <laughs> That's what you remember that. Came which which to remember that? Which uh, what do you, you remember that? You know, if 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 you just purely look at, and you know, I agree with color. If you purely look at. Uh, just how long it takes to do a phase one, how long mm-hmm. it takes to do a phase two. It's a, lo- it's a long time. And how long it takes to do a phase three. If if you take away all the hoops, all the regulation, and you assume uh, minimal problems, you can wrap it up in under a year if you have a vaccine candidate that is effective. I, I guess my- Well my, under a year. Yeah. Well yeah. under. Yeah. But, but you have, it, but, the, but let's face it too, it was the priority. Everything, yeah, what, it's like, this is what you're doing. This is what mm-hmm, you're right. doing. This is what you're doing. Everybody else stop, right? Well, that's the thing, right? So we had we had pretty much, and let's face it, the U.S. throw trillions of dollars at the problem, mm-hmm. told every giant pharmaceutical company, you do nothing else but this. And, you know, that to me- But it un- worked. That, well, but that's my point. That to me underscores the importance of science funding. Think of how many other yep. diseases we could say to scientists, you know what? You do nothing else but cancer for the next year yep. and you have unlimited resources. Yeah, imagine resources. what could get done. Yep. Yeah, I, I, think I we agree. Can do a lot. Completely agree. So I, I, so I think it is positive. Four months, I think, is, is too quick, honestly. Four months is oh, too yeah. quick. <laughs> oh, yeah. Oh, yeah, that's it, way yeah. too quick. But I, I think uh, what, what last year showed us is that, that can, it can be it done. It can be done. With the right attitude, the right amount of money, and nothing else. Well, and the other scene. And, and over and over on. again. It wasn't just one vaccine. Yeah, I mean, look at the number uh, of candidates came out that work. Yeah. Uh-huh. Working together. But we well, were how does lucky. The, how does the doctor or scientist actually prove the efficacy of the vaccine at the end? Doesn't she uh, get herself sick? by getting contaminated by her father who she visits in the hospital and then she sticks herself, you know, with the vaccine candidate and then make, and then sees that she wasn't sick within a few days. Sounds familiar. That's one way that I probably should not conduct an efficacy test on a vaccine. (laughs) That won't be IRB approved. Uh, Reminds me of helicobacter. Yeah, so, I know. so we should probably days. talk real quick, just just real briefly about ninety three days. days. We found yeah. this. So so I ended up watching this. Uh, it's on Netflix. It's on Netflix right now. It's it's free to watch. Uh, and what happens is a there's a, a current outbreak of Ebola in Liberia, which is known. And a Liberian diplomat at the beginning is brought to uh, a hospital in Nigeria, and he's uh, got a fever and symptoms, but. Uh, tells them he has malaria because he's a diplomat. He gets uh, a little special treatment there. And they uh, they put him in a, a room by himself, and he, he keeps getting worse and worse. And finally, they they end up diagnosing him with Ebola, but he he refuses and rips out his IV line. IV and gets, line, yeah. yeah. His blood flies all over and hits everybody Ugh. in the room. And so uh, he uh, he ends up 
dying there. But then it's really about the after that, they focus on the people. So it was more of a a personal story than it was about following the science. Although there's nothing wrong with it, the science. It was more about the fight of the Nigerians against their first outbreak of Ebola and making sure it didn't just rampage through the city. And so they, they had wards that were set up and they were just rough destitute. I mean, they, yeah, it was yeah. basically it was survive it on your own. Right. There was no, yeah. there were no, it's nothing like you would think of here. It's basically, here's a bed and some special drink. And we still couldn't catch out what, what they called it. Uh, oral rehydration. Yeah, it was an they, oral rehydration. Yeah, right. They had a little drink. Name yeah. they o- called o- it. ORC, I think they called it. I think yeah. it's oral rehydration something. Something. Yeah. Anyway, they, and, and supposedly it was you know, supposed to keep them hydrated and alive and then it follows a couple uh, of the, the the doctors and nurses and staff from the hospital that get the disease and some die and you know follows the one that survives and yeah what what i personally liked about the movie uh like you said is that it focuses on the people it focuses yeah. on what really i mean we think of these pandemics we always talk about the science this this and that but uh, this movie followed the healthcare workers. It followed the people who lived in that neighborhood. It followed, it followed like what are like their family, their kids, their husbands. Like what do people go through when healthcare workers are fighting an outbreak or getting it themselves? And I think it just like had a humanitarian sort of mm-hmm. you know, what's yeah. going on with people side that was nice to see. And this is on Netflix. You said this was yeah. a Netflix yeah. made movie. Yeah. Yes. And 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 not to be downplayed, Danny Glover stars. So Love we still Danny have Glover. we yep, we still have some uh some big name some Hollywood, Hollywood action names. right there. Right. He right. does a great job. I I really I was skeptical going into it, but it, it definitely was a good watch. Um I also it really struck me about again about the the facilities. I mean, it really, it's not what you think it's uh, the, the facilities. And, and I think uh, Dr. A wrote this down here, but it's a good point. Like we expect these, these people in other countries to keep Ebola to themselves just as much as they probably expect or us coronavirus, to over here you know, like, or yeah. coronavirus, but their facilities are nothing like ours. You're not no, going to go over no, there and have, not. you know, four stars facilities. There's, yeah. there's absolutely no containment. Uh, you know, we, you know, there's all these extremely poor countries in very crowded cities and an outbreak comes out and then, and then we, uh, our media here or some politician says, why, uh, why do you let it get out? And I was like, dude, they, you, they have could no they, choice. You how know? could like, they contain it? I mean, yeah, it's, how are they going to do anything? Uh, you know, and, and underscores also the importance of, to me, medical sort of aid, like so Médecins Sans Frontières, right? Like these uh, doctors without borders that go in or International Red Cross that – you know, like that do all this effort to try to help contain, et cetera, WHO. I think it's important. Uh, otherwise, uh, you know, you see these diseases spread globally and then it's a global problem. Yeah. Right. Cool. Well, it's definitely a movie I'm going to have to check out because I think I'm the. It's worth it. It's, it's, worth, it. it's, a, no, yeah, it's yeah. definitely I'd worth a watch. I recommend it. Yeah, for sure. I recommend it. I'll watch it this weekend then. Well, I would say it's probably time now for our game segment. No, let's do let's it. Let's do it. All right. So quickly, uh, you know, we we have the uh, the microbe of the week game segment, and of course, each episode we have a different scientific or medical scenario. We ask you, our our watchers and listeners, to do just a little bit of research and email us at thebiobusters at gmail.com to win some merch. Sadly, however, we did not get any winners this week. We had a couple guesses. They were not right. Oh, well. Yeah. Oh, wow. And well, uh, then, mo- um, most, most of them guessed hmm. what I incorrectly guessed last time as well, talking yes. to you. Yes. This was a harder one, too. It was. It was. Although I found it with a quick Google search. <laughs> if you use the same words I did. Well, what what do we do with this one then? Do we uh, hold on to it? And use oh, no, it no. Let's later? just you know give 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 the answer okay, away. The answer. And, yeah, okay. well, because you I'm, have a new, okay you have a new that. one, right? You I, have a new I one. I do. It does take a little while to write them, but okay. No, let's just yeah, let's um, just yeah. So we uh, in our last episode, we had a fifty-four-year-old male coming to the emergency department with confusion and behavioral changes. He had received a kidney transplant two months prior with no complications. 
and the donated organ was traced back to a 43-year-old female who had died of a stroke. Her liver was donated to a woman who was being evaluated for onset of tremors and difficulty walking, and her second kidney and heart were donated to a patient who had since developed brain inflammation or encephalitis. Over a period of two months, the kidney transplant patient's health, uh, our patient, the 54-year-old male, his health deteriorated and he passed. And they found single cell protozoa in his tissues. And they also found them in the surviving transplant patient's tissues. Uh, and I will say that they were successfully treated, I believe, and survived. But the question was, what is this parasite called? And what is the drug used to treat it? And so, Dr. A, what did you think it was? Well, originally, when you talked about it, I thought it was toxoplasma, right? Yes. Uh, right. But, but it turns out it wasn't, and I didn't really research it after that. So. <laughs> you gave up. <laughs> okay. Well, I, I actually, uh, I, I, it just, I, I forgot and then got busy and then, yeah. But, yeah. Uh, didn't we all, didn't we all? So uh, uh, this, is, this is an obscure parasite. It's uh, Encephalitozoon cuniculi. It's, in the, it's a type of microsporidia. These are small uh, small parasites. They're, they're protozoal parasites, as I said. Um, and, and typically we see them only in immunocompromised patients, which of course these patients were very immunocompromised. It is treated with albendazole, which is an antiparasitic, usually used for worms, but works well against the microsporidia. And this, this, uh, so these transplant patients, clearly they were on immunosuppressive therapy to prevent rejection. And so that also allowed them to become infected with this. What I found interestingly, and uh, there's a, a link to the article below where I found, uh, at least started to find the information. Um, infections from a donor to a recipient happened in about one to 2% of US transplants. That's um, and, and that's an infection. So of course there's other diseases like CMV that, that can reactivate in your transplant patient. But these, these are actual infections, things like Babesia, can happen in transplants and, and tissue infections like this. So yeah. I thought that was pretty interesting. Yeah, interestingly, you know, it it is a it, it is a single celled uh, protozoan parasite, but it is in the uh, kingdom of uh, fungi. Yeah, they're they're kind of strange, and yeah. uh, that's it's similar to what uh, pneumocystis. Used, right. You know, it was a parasite. Now they have it classified as a fungus. Yeah, and you treat yeah. it with an anti-helminthic, a worm drug. Right. Right. Yeah, they're they're very strange. You also just so you know uh, they're in the environment, and so most of us probably come into contact. But since we have uh, robust immune responses, we don't have anything to worry about. I do believe you can get them from drinking mud water from a mud puddle. Is one way to get these, which so. we do not recommend. Yeah, we do not recommend. <laughs> if you must, they do make uh, different types of uh, purification straws, devices. Yeah. yeah, straws. All right. All right. Do we have a new case? I do. I do. I put this together today because, well, you told me to. <laughs> so <laughs> we have uh, this uh, episode's guest, the micro. Remember, if you get the correct answer, we do have merch. Yes, so you, we do. You get this beautiful fancy mug. There we go. Biobusters mug. Biobusters mug. Who doesn't want That's that? It's a great design. And we may have future merch coming depending on how many correct answers we get. Yeah. T shirts, uh, tote bags, uh, et cetera. Mm -hmm. So our case for today, right? Uh, in early December, a woman in her early 50s presented to a local clinic in northern Louisiana with a two-day history of headache and fever and the recent onset of a stiff neck. She denied any recent close contacts as her children live in far-off states and have not visited her in some time. She has not been outdoors and does not remember any mosquito bites. And while taking her history, the patient vomits, then loses consciousness. Well, I Measles. guess there, uh, there goes the history. Yeah, After you that was, <laughs> the history is over. <laughs> Nasal swabs, blood samples, and a CSF sample are taken. The CSF is reported as cloudy with increased opening pressure. And despite aggressive medical care, the patient lapsed into a coma and died. Postmortem analysis of the CSF sample revealed modal trophozoites. And so the question for this episode is, what is the causative agent and how did the patient acquire this infection? Ah, yeah, I think I, you should know this one. I went a I, little bit easier, I, I know, but I, fun. Uh, <laughs> We're going to have a nice discussion. I, 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 think, to hear. I think I know this one. Yeah, I think I know this one. 
Well, yeah, okay. I thought you knew the last one. So. That is true. That is true. All right, folks, uh, that is it for today. Uh, thank you very thank much you. for listening. Yep. Yes, thank you. We appreciate your uh, viewership and listenership. Uh, you can email us at thebiobusters at gmail.com. You can find us on iTunes. You can also find us on YouTube. And soon you'll be able to find us on other video sharing platforms such as Daily Motion. And I am Dalbert Ebi Abdallah and uh, Fawner and I'm Keller. I'm Dr. Fawner. Bid yes, you I'm Dr. Chris Keller. And uh, we thank you for your listening. And uh, please email us with any comments, uh, answers to the riddle, or uh, questions. Alrighty, thank you. Thank right. you. Bye. Goodbye.